Okay, welcome to the show. You are listening to Radio Tony, Tony TV, and this is a new weekly show with a wonderful new co-host where we'll be exploring intelligence. And before we get on the show, just a reminder, if you're listening to this live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitter, you will find the connections to everything that we talk about in the description of the show. You'll be able to find replays of the show on YouTube and Binge Networks TV USA, Hero Go TV USA, and of course the Tony TV channel app available on all Roku, LG and Samsung smart TVs across the planet. Now, a little thing that we've been doing and will continue to do as part of anything that comes out of the shows in Australia is an international movement that acknowledges the special part that our Indigenous people play in our cultural identity. So begin to begin the show, I want to expressly respectfully acknowledge the people of the Yugamba language region and pay my respects to the elders past and present and all the Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders people here today. Now, as I said, this is the first of an eight series show with an amazing guy, Mr. Mario Beckers from Insight Intelligence. But before I introduce you to the dynamic Mario, here's <laughs> what you need to know. Mario grew up in communist Croatia, then part of Yugoslavia, and he witnessed a lot of social unrest before finding himself in the middle of the Croatian War of Independence. Mario's world was quickly turned upside down. One morning, when he woke to the knock of a door, his family and his girlfriend were gone. His neighbours were packing, fleeing the city, and the military were at his door saying, report to the army barracks in one hour. Minutes later, the city was shelled and Mario was off to fight in a war that was none of his doing and definitely not anything that he had chosen. Over the next few years, he'd experienced the horrors of war firsthand, witnessing sheer destruction, death, suffering, and broken hearts right in front of him. So imagine, if you will, an 18-year-old in just 24 hours and the world you knew stopped existing. Now, Mario has come a long way since then and... Today, he is a natural leader, a public speaker, results-driven, a best-selling published book author, multiple books I might add. He's a relationship builder and facilitator with experience in investigative techniques, interviewing, interrogation, interrogation methods, corporate, human and competitive business analysis. Mario's goal is to show you how to conduct a successful investigation in the workplace 
and in corporate and helps he helps investigate workers compensation claims internal and external theft as well as how to protect your reputation and analyze your competitors in mario's experience there is nothing worse than worrying about how an investigation is going to play out and he's worked with the department of defense department of foreign affairs corporate offices and businesses globally in the last 30 years, Murray ha- Mario has conducted all sorts of investigations and he has proven investigative techniques and strategies and is able to help many people pursue all sorts of investigations within the workplace. He is incredibly well-trained and well-traversed in the intelligence industry and his books include... Chaos Theory, Road to Anarchy, Prosmus, an Executive Close Personal Protection, Competitive Business Intelligence, Corporate and Workplace Investigations, Crime Investigative and Interview Techniques, Methodology and Applications, and the Corporate Informant and Whistleblower Management Plan, Developing sophisticated methods of intelligence in corporate investigations. Now, Mario and I have been planning this show for a fair while now, and I'm really excited today to actually get him live on air to chat with you all. Welcome to the show, Mario. Thank you, Tony. Thank you to entire team, to all viewers and listeners. It is a true privilege, Tony, and I apologize a little bit casual dress but it's six o'clock in the morning so thank you <laughs> That's very okay. much <laughs> i was gonna say in queensland so mario's in uh, new south wales and i'm in queensland <coughs> so it's a little bit past 5 a.m in the morning for me and um i uh, jumped on the show quickly and thought oh gosh um my hair's a bit out of place today but <laughs> i am delighted to have mario on the show and mario i thought we'd start today with your indulgence and talk Talk about your childhood and growing up in Croatia. What was that like, Mario? Thank you very much, Tony, for asking this question. I uh, I was thinking lately, what is my childhood being made yeah. of? And um, the three things I can remember very clearly, even today. Uh, one, it's a smell of my childhood. Uh, that was something. Something it is there about when you're a kid. Uh, it stays with you. Well, it's a smell of growing up, you know what I mean? And when I say smell, smell of happiness, smell of being uh, careless, free, you know, innocence and uh, everything else, you know. The second one, it's a, it's a, it's a colors, right? The colors of the growing up uh, in communism, despite all my best effort to try to remember beautiful days uh, in terms of, of the, of the colors, but in communism, everything was being very gray because, you know, clothing was gray, mm. schools very gray, and everything was sort of semi-military because people don't understand in communism, uh, every communist country, from the moment you, you enter the primary school, you become somehow obliged that one day in the future you're going to repay the state <laughs> that is keep you safe. 
So yes. it's also been driven towards this ideology and politi- a politic, a political way of expressing yourself. Right? And thirdly, it's imagination. And I do, be- I do remember uh, as a kid, you know, we didn't have access to the nothing from Western ball, but from time to time, we will get only some magazine, some of those smuggle and can you imagine like 10 boys, you know, up, you know, <laughs> some magazine, nobody does understand the English or German, particularly it was from Germany, but we all dream about, you know, one day I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. So growing up in communism in the once in one respect was, it was uh, a society where you are, being, um, how to say, a, pred, uh, a predisposition by by background of your parents was your uh, role in society. And my parents were, mm. you know, the workers, they you know nothing better. So society expected for me to become the factory worker. But I always dreamed about, you know, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. And I always said to people, be careful what you wish for, because my dream was, was that to become the soldier, which I eventually become. <clears throat> so the growing up in, com- in, in communism, uh, it looked it looked it's okay, but it wasn't okay because you know you're being yeah. heavily sanctioned by the by the parents, by school, by society. If you don't think and be- don't behave the way they expected, so there was a a lot of norms there. And um, in terms of you like to express yourself, it was being like who you think you are, and if it goes against this uh, communist ideology. You know, yeah. even doesn't matter how old you are, they will always put you in a place that they're going to bring the Second World War, the partisans, the Germans, you know what I mean? Like, you know, my predecessors died for you and like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so how I remember my childhood, uh, it was difficult. My parents were, uh, were different. They preferred yeah. a lot of alcohol. They preferred uh, um, spending all money on day indulgence, which is the smokes and alcohol. Yes. So, you know, in terms of, like, ask them, you know, I like having new sneakers or something like this. There was always recycling. There was always recycling yes. um, uh, pattern, you know what I mean? You have the shoes from last year. We're just going to put some, <laughs> just going to fix them a little bit, you know. Why want <laughs> sneakers? You know, uh, it's a summer. Yeah. Be barefoot. It's good for your, for your souls. Oh. Okay. You know, so, like, it was always that desire to have something, like, let us say normal kids and invest yes. they do have. So every time when I wanted something, it was uh, in, in my imagination, and it was it was very difficult, you know, like to be um, happy in terms that yeah. you have the I know better school uh, bag or to have the you know the 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 better clothing and everything else. Everything was being like far away, like a distant future. You know what I mean? That one day I'm going to have this one. And growing up in communism, another thing is going to bring was this, I grew up in society, it was called the Brotherhood and Sisterhood Unity, right? Where Yugoslavia was having six republics. Every republic was was talking their own language, own religion. And religion was very suppressed by by the government. You know, uh-huh. the church was being considered as a as an element of radicalization of the uh, citizens. And so the government was always looking the way to uh, stop people going to church. Yes. Um, but I found a way, I found a way uh, to go to church because 
just by accident, I, I ran into some nun and she brought me inside. There was a food and, and that was the first time I felt actually some type of love. I have a priest, great, great priest called Mate, and he took me under his wing. So I become the altar boy, which was, yeah. you know, was, my parents didn't like it. My grandfather was sort of afraid of because my father hold the role of the second man of the intelligence services in communist Yugoslavia. Was a and high your position. grandfather was also high up as well, wasn't he, Mario? Yeah, he was. He was a typical, typical communist product of intelligence mm. services. Nothing yes. than the party, party, and only party. Communism, communism. And if you go against that, you know. I never knew full extent of my grandfather work because it was always been this hush hush, you know, your, your child and you know nothing. Uh, and then you know, I was growing up in very, very, very in poverty. People yes. talk about poverty uh, like it's a good thing. I don't think so. Poverty is a good thing for anybody. I don't. I don't believe that poverty in any shape especially or form. Especially for a child. Yeah, especially because for a child. because it turns you into uh, first of all. When somebody puts you into into the into the box, literally box, and you have mm. kill all your expectations, you know, your all your life, Tony and I was seeing this with my parents. They were dead before they died because every yes. day to factory, come home, drinking, wake up, go in factory, come home, and then on a weekend, you know, what I mean, they didn't know what they're gonna do with themselves. So my father will resort to the to, to, to bashing me and drinking more. So it was it was a really really violent family and. As I say, poverty is not good for nobody. People don't understand. No, it's not. Um, it takes away something um, genuinely precious from the human soul, doesn't it, Mario? Yeah. And, you know, like when you're watching all these movies, suddenly in cinema we'll get sometimes some movies from the Hollywood, right? And we were like, yeah. always like, wow, is this, po- you're like, is this is possible to have a burger or, you know, Nike sneakers? And mm. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, the the Conan Barbarian was then, and Schwarzenegger who didn't speak English at all then. But yes. you know they showed something in Venice, California, how they uh, training, and, and we were like, "Oh, wow!" Like you know, it was science fiction for all of us that this thing mm. exists. Actually, uh, was it called the other movie, the 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 Back in Future? Yeah, um, you know, I mean that was that was for us like, these people really have that clothing, you know. And then yes. you're dreaming about these things and, and, you know, poverty takes your all dignity. First, because yes. first and foremost, it's you wake up in the morning by dreaming more, you want it more, but then somehow society tells you, stop dreaming, that's never going to happen, you're never going to experience this. Mm-hmm. And then you become angry uh, with, with yourself. And as I say, communism always found a way to turn us into the little soldiers. We were mm. little, like literally little soldiers. Can you imagine somebody who was a 13 years old and you had a first time military training? You know, that was compulsory in primary school. So you have wow. the subject, yeah, and uh, you, you the, how to shoot a rifle, and how to prepare multiple cocktails, how to defend the country. Oh, yes. Gosh. That was, that was, that was a part of curriculum in, in, in communism. And <laughs> doesn't matter you male, male or female, it was that, that way. But on the other side, you know, we, we believe that we are invincible, in our communists. Yes. We, entire world is dying, only we living. So, 
And we believe in that paradox of uh, being superior than anybody else because yeah. that was a that was a teachings. And as I say, growing up in communism, there's no colors, mm. there's no nice smells, and even when the summer comes, you know, between the June and, and, and September, you have the school holidays, summer school holidays. Even those holidays being organized by state, where to go, what to do, what to watch. Uh, so, you know, there was no, the music was, let's just say, music was done, uh, Tony, excuse me, and yeah. music was were considered rebellious. So it was, you know, it was, it was like, it was, if you go the path and somebody reports you, it's always this correctional services uh. from the school, from the state, which they make you uh, to put your right path. So <clears throat> that was growing up in communism. It was a different, no colors, no smell, everything and, gray and uh, big poverty. And as you say that, Mario, um, uh, I've, I've read and listened and watched lots of things um, about Croatia. It's a beautiful country, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. Look, I truly believe in today, even... Um, you know, I left Croatia in '98, but you mm. know, I tried to go twice per year uh, to see uh, some of my friends. Yes. Which unfortunately it's a less and less now. Uh, yeah. People uh, give up on their lives, but it's a beautiful country, Tony. You know, I was mm. born in, in a city, you know, which was uh, on the border between East and West, sort of between then Ottoman Empire and also Hungarian uh, Empire. Uh huh. Um, you know, when you grow up in 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 an area where I was, it's all like it's a corn fields, wheat fields, you know, sunflower fields. Um, everything was being um, designed, you know, by nature. It was beautiful, green, and we have the beautiful coast and mm. everything else. <clears throat> Croatia is a beautiful country, but unfortunately, in communism, you know, yeah. it was corruption. Yeah, but. Um, now, after the war, it's even bigger corruption. So the only what's remained for me when I go there, it's just the memories because things have changed, which is yes. normal. And the things I grow up, they disappeared many, many schools, the factories, I remember, and everything else. It was a heavy industrial city, my city, Osijek. Mm. Um, and you have the, like 11 big factories. And so you can imagine that workforce, it's every yes. day just... Pumping out, yeah, because communism was tried to yeah, try to be self sufficient uh-huh. for the for the for the majority. So everything was being produced and manufactured in, yes. in Yugoslavia, but yet there was a one percent of society who enjoyed the benefits being out of the state, and yeah. they will bring all this stuff, you know, beautiful cars, and they were like, oh my god. So communism was good for ninety nine percent. Yes, one percent enjoy the benefit of the being part of Communist Party and their you know privileges of themselves. So yeah, yeah. you know, you can't even, you can't Tony, I can't explain to you. like you know, you wake up five o'clock in the morning and you go in the public transport, all the buses falling apart and people already Not drunk in the morning. You know, you go in the factory, okay. hating themselves, and it was society which was you know. Was normal, and I mean, kids 10, 11 years old, you know, go small, go drink, you know, that's a battle of the life. Mm. And, um, because we childhood was 
childhood was really tough for you, Mario, on on so many levels, from home life to um, the, the the trouble that you started to sort of get yourself into. Life was really tough for you, Mario, wasn't it? Yeah, look, my parents, you know, they didn't believe in me whatsoever. And they always found a way, they always found a way which I can understand why parents do this, to to put you in a corner, right? And this is where you belong. And when you every day being hammered, you stop dreaming, stop imagining mm. who you think you are. Yeah. Uh, why you want it better, you know what I mean? What's wrong? You know, my father always had expression. <laughs> Just finish high school, find yourself the woman, any woman, have the couple of kids, and, you know, just that's your, that's your life. No dreams. <clears throat> no dreams, no. And, you know, taking consideration my father was a heavy alcoholic. Yes. It was much, it was, uh, much more than my mom, 16 years difference. Yeah. He was a man who expressed his love with me with a belt, you know, I mean, with the furniture yeah. over my back. So, you know, he was using every opportunity to to, to, to smash me, literally smash me. And I couldn't understand what it is. So that I was looking the way out of all that. And Very how early, weren't you, Mario? You and wanted what to I did, out. Tony, of course, you know, I got to the to local gang, literally gang. Mm. And in communism, communism, knew how to brand the people like today being bold is like sexy allegedly absolutely but in, <laughs> <laughs> in those times in 70s and 80s uh everybody who was in prison or in a juvenile system was being shaved must be bold mm. right so the police can see you from distance and people can avoid you on the street oh. so what i did i eventually you know i succumbed to the you know, need for the love, and I yes. got the love from the you know criminals, mm. and for them I was um, just a boy who is mm. gonna go that path, and um, yeah, I, I ended up in juvenile center because I stabbed somebody who was thirteen years old because yeah. I was told to stab somebody through driver, which I did, and ended oh. up in juvenile center, and that was that was the breaking point uh, for for my parents and I. I think mm. they, instead of trying to understand what I did, they actually decide to show me the way out. And on Christmas yeah. in 1986, my my parents wait for me to come from school and my father told me, you know, literally, get the fuck out. And he was punching my face and I was bleeding. I was thinking, you know, anyway, oh, I couldn't believe what he was doing and he threw stuff on me and you know, I was out at Christmas Eve. I do believe that things happen for the reason because my grandfather was coming out of the novel, like literally from yeah. like a ghost from the dark, you know, it's yes. foggy, yes, um, snowy evening. And he took me under his wing and then he told me he's gonna deal with my parents later. Yeah. And then suggested me to I go in military school. And I said, like I can't go to military school, I have the now the penal record and my yeah. credits and you know, yeah. my scores in school. Yeah. And I truly believe that was a very moment when my grandfather used his all influences possible, he could do it, mm. to enroll in military school, which was mm. uh, called a Naval Military War School, Marshal Tito then, in, in yes. the Colts and Split, um, to become better man. 
And that was my last contact with my parents for a very long time after yeah. my grandfather sent me in school. Things that were things that were changing. So like I've been educated, you know, to be young communist, you know. I don't start believing these things, like, you know, it's yes. good, you know, like because it's I felt propaganda, this... isn't it, Mario? Oh yeah, oh, look, there's, absolutely. Yes, there's no know. option for you <sighs> to think any other way than what you're constantly and continuously told from a communism perspective. There was no option to think outside that that uh, in that time. That's what you had. That was it. What was in front of you. That was it. What was ingrained in you. So yeah. um, there wasn't another option for you, was there? No, what people I wanted people to imagine the moment you you were born and first time you become aware of yourself and that you can read and what you read you understand. It's the first it's all these big slogans everywhere. Mottos. Uh... <clears throat> That's a communism everywhere. Enemies listening. Uh-huh. Report suspicious activities. Long live the Communist Party, you know, and all this. Yeah, I really forgot many of those things, right? So you go in child, uh, sorry, in uh, kindergarten, you already have these things. Mm. Then you go in into the primary school in first grade, you become the pioneer, right? They give you the blue hat with a red star, red bandana. Mm. This is your first oath. Then as you're progressing, you continue to being brought into this um, ideological wall of uh, what happened in Second World War, like, you know, we fought for the freedom and the enemies of the state and, you know, everybody's a CIA, everybody's just, you know, is going to kill you in, in your sleep and <laughs> and then you come in high school, high school is even even more prominent because in, yeah. uh, when you're age 14, you, you start high school, you're already being enrolled as a male into the um, did my Minister of Defense register? So you become uh, full fledged. In, yeah, if in case of war, you go into war. So you already had some <sighs> military uh, training, which they gave us in primary school and high school. <clears throat> and then, you know, when you finish 18 years old, you know, if you finish high school, you are a little bit older than 18 years old, you go in two years, serve the military. Mm. And uh, that was for free. And you never served in your city, you've been sent who knows where and how, and uh, they try to mix this, you know, like, you know, mm. the mix us between the older states, you know, the nationalities and the backgrounds, and we're all brothers and sisters, and mm. <clears throat> but deep down, it, it wasn't that way. It was on surface was good. I think people had a pride, and um, yes. the only what I remember people look forward was a uh, 15 days of the holiday on the coast because every factory had their own, I would call the RNR places, right? You know, some yes, type of yes. holiday air, places. Air, yeah, like hotel places, but they're not hotels, like factory built. So you go there. And, <laughs> yeah. So you're getting the factory workers, you know what I mean? But at least yeah. it was a cheaper. <clears throat> you know, I remember my parents will come summer, they couldn't wait to buy the, was a call K15, which was. 75% off train ticket. We can travel. Like, okay. my God. Like, it's like <laughs> you travel 36 hours, 700 kilometers. 36 hours. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, like, like, people are like, oh, my God, we're going for holiday. Like, I'm going to Hollywood, you know what I mean? Like, 
Yes. It's 700 kilometers, 36 hours, because they design everything. You stop every small place. You know, it's all, it's, it's just a it's, mess. It, it's, it, it's a lot about controlling what people do and think and how they live. And once you're controlled, then the uh, it, it keeps the populace... Uh, known and and in one place and all the same and all doing the same things and there's not any scope for as you said imagination. There's nothing. Mario, there's nothing. I want to um, skip forward to um, what happened um, as an 18 year old and um, and going to war. What impact that had on you as an 18 year old? Remember, I said before the start, yes. be careful what you wish for. Yes, and, and I, you wanted to go into the military, didn't you? I want to go into war, like you know, I was, yeah. you know, I was keen for this one. And when did this happen? For me, it happened. Uh, Yugoslavia was going through the big turmoil in nineteen ninety. Yes, and the the last bastion which felt was Romania, it was uh, Ceausescu, yeah. and it was a very bloody. So Yugoslavia was the uh, only bastion of communism in, in, in Europe. Mm-hmm. That was not just a war between us for independence, but mm. we, we brought into that war settling old scores from Second World War, because Croatia was, uh, uh... the First World War was a part of Austria monarchy, in Second World War, Croatia was a part of Germany and uh, Third Reich. I didn't know that. Yeah, and we have the... We so had that's a, the German influence? Very much. Croatia was very much influenced by, by Germans. And <coughs> Croatia was a part of um, of the foreign, uh, sorry, foreign legion of the German Wehrmacht in, in Stalingrad. Mm-hmm. Then we have the concentration camps. It's it's all mm-hmm. these historical facts, mm-hmm. and um, you know, in a war, first thing what always dies, and the victim of the war, first thing is a is a truth. And yes. you know, for 60, 50 years was this brewing background. You know, Croats, Serbs, and Yugoslavia, and you know, mm-hmm. what's happened nineteen sixteen, nineteen. You know, I'm just imagining numbers, right? Yes. Just throwing numbers. Yes. <clears throat> so. 1990, Croatia decided to step out of in our Federation of Yugoslavia. And um, Slovenia was started first. Um, mm. And that was like, sort of like, it was like, hey, just get out. Mm. <clears throat> but Croatia wasn't. So the Communist Party of Yugoslavia and the Federal Army of Yugoslavia um, decided to reinforce um, decision to Croatia stay within Federation. Mm-hmm. Even the people voted for the independence, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how everything started. And federal army first was uh, become like a tampon zone, like a UN force, right? Try to calm down things and be the tampon zone between us and uh, Serbs because Serbs become threatened suddenly, you know. Mm-hmm. And the federal army start arresting start, you know, um, slowly doing all this um, behind-the-scenes legwork, yeah, like uh, that's counterintelligence and assassinations and yes. arrests and everything else. So Croatia didn't have the army, we have the 
police force, uh, dual police force. People can't imagine here the oh. police force Yugoslavian, you know, I mean, elected everything else. So suddenly have the independent Croatia and start building their own police force. It's just, for us, it's oh. not confusing, but for everybody outside, it's confusing. Yeah. <clears throat> and what it happened for me, the war started. So slowly from 1990, mid-1990 to uh, mid-1991, there was a lot of um, Federal Army was start doing um, more role of punishing Croatian citizens because they, uh, yeah, we, we dare to have the independence. Yes. And they start, start arming uh, the rebels, which, uh, you know, uh, the Serbs who are in Croatia, they, you know, they, they wanted their independence now because they feel mm. threatened. So they ask for the assistance from the federal army, mm. which, I could understand. So for me, the war started on uh, 14th of July, 91. And I woke yeah. up in the morning, as you said in your yeah. introduction. <laughs> yeah. um, I was. I heard a loud banging on the door and opened the door. There was uh, two military police officers, two police officers from Socialist Republic of Yugoslavia, uh, Croatia, not the Democratic no, Republic of Croatia, new one. Mm-hmm. And they told me, you're reporting in one hour in army barracks. So that was a summer, it was a school holidays. And what it happened, I uh, I say, okay, I'll go there. Um, as I was walking in the kitchen, uh, I found uh, on the kitchen table a note from my parents. We are okay. And I was like, what do you mean you're huh? okay? Where, where are they? You know, I mean, where are you guys? You know, so, yeah. so my parents... They ran away that night, and I was blind. You know, look, I was blindside. I was thinking this is all going to be end up very quickly to just uh, <coughs> internal. You know, I mean, mm. something. You know, yeah. But I was mistaken. So as I was walking downstairs in my building, was a coffee shop uh-huh. on the ground floor, and I saw something I never believed. Uh, that first, I noticed that the cars. Of my neighbors being packed, you know, into the fullest. Yeah. So they're leaving. Uh, then I saw the people sticking the sticky tapes on the windows. On the windows. There to, you know, so like, why is doing this? You know, I mean, obviously they knew sharing is gonna start. So like everything was happening. Really. Some people great. knew what's happening. Some people, you know, Did, I, I was yes. naive. I was naive, really naive. I was eighteen years yeah, old. Yeah, you were only eighteen. Yeah, and. Um, I was going to a coffee shop, and then I saw my friend's d- division, Croatians mm-hmm. on one side, Serbs on the other side. And one of the guys told me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Army Barracks. And they said, choose careful, Mario, who you, who you hold in the side. And, oh. uh, <clears throat> and that day, Federal Army started shelling my city out of the blue. And I mean, and I was... I was determined, this is the moment I need to fight for my country. And mm. in, in hindsight... I had nowhere to go, Tony, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know where my parents are. Yeah, they just um, disappeared. And the oh, same night goodness. I was on a bus, when I witnessed a bed that night, very first night, uh, destruction on my city. And, you know, oh. when you when you have the Federal Army, uh, in Army barracks within the city and outside, plus several forces and all these paramilitaries start shelling everything. And then for the very first time, I saw 
that what's happening to us, he can't even describe. Uh, people who, till yesterday, we had some life. Today, it's totally different life. Mm. Uh, pure sheer destruction. Uh, and that's that's hard to comprehend, Mario, because mm. as you're talking, I'm actually thinking about what's happening in Ukraine. And mm. I'm thinking about the horrible destruction of irreplaceable buildings. Yes. The, the, the destruction of people's hopes, dreams and, and homes and the uselessness of it all. What does it achieve? Like, I just, I cannot get my head to comprehend why shelling a country and putting it into war will ever achieve anything good. I just don't get it, Mario. Something has changed inside of all of us when the war starts. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine has a lot of similar elements what's happened to us in Yugoslavia. Yeah. Uh, yes, I wondered. Yeah. I was now from this stance right now, being 49 years old, even I was a, I was a kid as a soldier, I was 18 and a half years old. Mm. It is very, um, it is very ungrateful role that your life, again, you have no dreams and in everything shattered and, <clears throat> People must understand that as a soldier now, I'm seeing myself in back in time. My job was to be the soldier, so I was fighting enemy. But the true victim of the war are the civilians. Because yes. every time I do remember when we defended the village or the city, you know what I mean? Um, and, you know, we were losing the war in 1991. We gave them everything. We were, you know, for six months... We were fighting enemy, you know, everywhere, you know, like in Ukraine. Mm. But we started losing the territory. We lost about 30% of territory at the end of the day. We, we recuperate later, but the true victim of the war are the generations of people, mm. civilians and children, who yes. I can't describe, Tony, when you walk into the basement, you know, sometimes you know, I have the time to recuperate for a couple of hours, Mm. You don't go sleep in your in your unit because continuous shelling and you know never yeah. know what's going to happen. So you sleep in your basement, you know that dark, wet, moldy place, yes. Yes. and all these kids look at you like a you like a superhero. They believe that you're going to do everything, and uh, you know you feel good, but then you realize they don't know nothing. They 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 inhaling that dust and the gases and or the war and and the fear and the media was even then it was um you know they tried to lift up the spirit but you know yeah. when you are sitting for the weeks in your basement in the dark and dingy the dark, dusty and, listening and every to time when you come going, out yeah and when every time you come out <clears throat> everything's become rubble more and yeah. more and more so what people did like which was Show they try to clean the streets, the bricks, the glass, you know, they try to keep some type of normal. So, um, and, and you know, the war is, as I say, uh, everybody was afraid, you know, there was nobody mm-hmm. who I didn't know was not afraid till you know, when when the autumn arrived in, in, uh, in uh, November, 
I remember I was very cold, the frost, mm. uh, you know, the, 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 the rain and, and first snow, and I was still in a summer uniform. And then oh. I first time realized actually how less and less people around me, how the, mm. you know, we're becoming all, all we're becoming all old, right? And mm. you try, uh, you know, you become something different, Tony. And, yeah. you know, people in Ukraine, they're feeling that as yes. well. Uh, it's a motivation behind every soldier to, you know, to to defend the country. Yes. But as well, don't forget those who shelling the civilians, then, you know, they're hiding. It's just despicable. I, it, it's just despicable. Nobody cares for the, you know, it's easy to destroy somebody else's house. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. And that's a, that terror, which I hate. You know what I mean? Yes. I hated this. In the middle of the night, you have the artillery attack. You know, we have the, all these airplanes, you know, suddenly come out of the nowhere. And, you know, you know, we were so naive. We were shooting the airplanes with the guns. I mean, like, yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah, determination, Just, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big, um, yeah, it's a big positive thing for everybody. And I went eventually, I truly believe, and I can see it, despite everything, Ukraine is going to defend themselves and they're going to win because occupator never can sustain, never can stay there. You know, people don't want you. And that's what happened to us in the war. Yeah. And uh, even took us six years to liberate our territory. Eventually we did. And that's how I, you know, mm. my career started in, in as a professional soldier. And, yeah. uh, you know, been driven from, from special forces. I was being driven to... Um, to the military intelligence mm. security apparatus. Yes, and that's and, how you uh, got into the security and intelligence yeah. <laughs> business was at that time. Um, yeah. To move on from that that horrible war-torn country, mm-hmm. you moved into uh, the embassy within the Republic of Croatia in in Suri, um, uh, security intelligence. Right. Um, is that where your desire and your expertise for security and intelligence, it, it started its very beginning in that uh, role in the embassy, didn't it, Mario? Well, it started a little bit earlier, actually. Uh, 95, yeah, I yeah. was the very first time being sent uh, by my... By my um, uh, my core commander, he asked me mm-hmm. to um, take some extra education. I said, what is, that? What, what is that? He told me it's a six-month course in police academy in forensic investigations. And I was like, oh, this is this is good break from the military, right? So, like, you suddenly feel like you, you don't... <laughs> I you thought, don't have, you thought yeah, this like, was a break. <laughs> because, you know, in hindsight, you know, being, being in the military, it's, it's okay, but Day after mm. day, you know, drills and yeah. trainings yes. and everything else. Yes. Probably, this, probably before they sent me, they sent me in a couple of schools, uh, you know, for the counterterrorism. They sent me, uh, you know, um, how to deal with uh, with the interrogation techniques and all this. Mm. But suddenly, I get in this opportunity to attend, you know, the, the institution which has a, you know, a credibility, which is police academy and Instead a reputation. Yes, yeah. and to go into that forensic investigation, this is very first time I fall in love. But this is the very 
first time I being approached by the different um, agencies in Croatia, right, yeah. to work for them. And I was like, nah, nah, it's okay. Um, and then as I, I was at time progressing, I've been sent into more schools in military, which has been related all to the different type of, of security intelligence uh, yes. work mm-hmm. um, to complete this one. And eventually in 98, um, uh, I was being sent, uh, long story short, two years before that, uh, I had been approaching a coffee shop, a beautiful, sexy lady, like in the movies, yes. and she gave me an envelope and she told me, you need to come with this address on Monday. I was like, do you know who really? you're talking to? Like, you know, like exactly. <laughs> and eventually, you know, like after the, some 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 legwork and um, mm. understanding who is who, I accepted that interview. And that's how my, um, it was all big lie because I lied my bosses oh. in military that I'm going for the new job. So I was being groomed, uh, trained, prepared in 98. Eventually I was being transferred on 30th of May, 98. Oh. It was called then Directorate 7, Foreign Affairs, mm. Counterintelligence and Security Division. Mm. And, and, you know, having more training. And, you know, yeah, suddenly, you know, the government bought me the suit, Tony. Can you imagine? I got first my suit was a pair yeah, yeah, and the yeah, shirt. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, you know, then you then you reality is different. You know, you get all this paperwork, NDAs on, on the highest level. You can't talk this for five years, ten years, thirty years, and ah. and then eventually, 18 November '98, I was being sent to the Croatian Embassy uh, yes. in Canberra mm. as the head of security intelligence department. Um, and you know, before I departed, they told me if anything goes wrong, you know, we don't know. You, I'm like. <laughs> what I mean, you don't know me. Uh, wow. So, so that's yeah. how you got to Australia, Mario. Was yes, yeah. diplomatic community. I was, I was, um, I was surprised when I came to Australia. I fell in love with Australia, Tony, from the plane yeah. when I saw yes those lights and everything else. Now, five years, uh, it looks long time, mm. but in those five years, I told my bosses. Uh, I think it's time for me to stop now and it's time for me to have my family. And mm. I met one lady. Um, yeah. She's become mother of my child. Yeah. And uh, I decided to stay in Australia. Well, how about you sit on the plane and come back home first? <laughs> so it was uh, back and forward, you know, I mean, for a few yeah. weeks uh, between me and my bosses. Eventually, I got the green light, you know, honorable discharge. Mm. Um, and then I started my career in Australia, I believe. Yeah. Now, Tony, I'm going to be director of everything, right? Yes, yes. But reality was different. So, like, my very first job, I was a bouncer. Then I was a cleaner, courier. It's hard, isn't it, Mario? People, people have a romanticized idea of what it's like to emigrate to another country but for most people it's as you described a cleaner a bouncer the 
just a job, any job that you can get. And, and that's a sad reflection because you're highly skilled by this time, Mario. Yes, I was. You're highly trained, highly skilled, very good at your job. And because you're an immigrant to Australia, then you have to go back and, and, uh, and start as a cleaner. It, it, it's not a way to value human beings, is it? Yeah. I believe, Tony, world owes me. By that stage, I was married. I mm. uh, got a kid. Yes. And I believe that everybody's going to come to me and give me jobs I just desire. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. People should understand right now, They everybody must do their hard uh, yaka. Yes. First, you know, if you believe that you belong in a part of society because of your skills, you need to uh, hone your skills. Yeah. I have all skills, but no Australian skills. So, like, mm. I need to go from the certificate three investigation, certificate point of risk management, diploma in fraud investigation. Mm. So, like, I was building. You did lots, hey. Yes, and yeah. still was not enough, right? It was still was yes. not enough. Yes. Um, I don't believe that people, if they are determined to succeed, if they're determined to. Uh, reach the goals and dreams, objectives. You will reach, but don't blame the world. And I was an expert. You know, I blame everybody for me being bouncer. Everybody blamed for the, uh, you know, being the cleaner in a night shift in hotel, which I was crying every night like a little girl. And I did. I blamed yeah. everybody, which with, with one day I realized why I'm doing all of this, you know. I, I realized that I'm not the father I should be. Needless to say, I was even worse husband because I was so selfish and self-egocentric that the world owes me. Mm-hmm. When I realized that nobody owes me nothing, that I need to build myself, mm-hmm. my name, my reputation. Uh, instead of this, I was being the number one complaint to everybody of everybody. I, you know, oh, life is not good. I know it's maybe people can say it's easy for you to say these things now. Oh, I'm just saying to be everybody prepared. It was tough prepared. though, Mario. You, you, being able to say that now, you've walked a tough way Thank to you, get Mario. to this Thank point, yes. Mario. But that's like, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in your goals, mm. only one thing what is missing is to run, surround yourself with one or two people, like a Tony Lontis. Like, you know, like honestly... If somebody told me, Tony, <clears throat> that one day in the future I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be on a, uh, shows like yourself and meet good people, I would say like, that's not the true. Patience is a virtue, mm. not for many. I'm not patient, yes. many, but I try to say, if you believe in your goals, if you believe in your, uh, uh, if you have aspirations to. To, to reach your yeah. objectives, be patient, invest in yourself, but invest yourself into a few people around yourself who is going to uh, lift you up. Yes. Yeah. And unfortunately, I, at that stage, you know, I was again um, believing others instead of the very few. And, um, you know, it took me a longer time. So, yeah, eventually... You know, I, yeah. I found my <clears throat> found my way, you know, publishing first book and 
starting my business and you know you've been loved and all these things you know who you think you are to yes. publish the book and I said like I'll do it because that's the way I need to promote myself and um, mm. doesn't matter how how ridiculed I was I said to myself I will do it the way I believe it's best yeah and Mario people don't understand mm. how hard it is to promote yourself it doesn't come naturally mm-hmm. and um it, it's why i love what i do because i get to talk to people most day of the week and that's a privilege to talk about other people's lives to talk with people about what they've been through what they live through it's a privilege thank you Tony. um thank you. mario Thank you for sharing so openly the story of your life to this point. Um, Just so the audience know, Murray and I are going to continue and each week we're going to be talking about different elements of invested give. I was just about to say invested give journalism. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're talking about... um, investigation we're talking about um what that looks like for um people to the work that you do which is around factual and management and business intelligence we're going to talk about all the elements of what you do now and the company you've created to help businesses and uh, private enterprises uh, around this discussion of intelligence. What that looks like, how you've built the Insight Intelligence Institute, how you train, how you talk to people. We're going to be delving into all of these elements over the next seven weeks and I'm really excited and (laughs) delighted that I get to share the next seven weeks with you, Mario. Um, We're going to have a really great time. We're going to show the world just your immense wisdom, knowledge and understanding around intelligence and how people, companies, organizations and government services can work with your company and how you make things easy for them around intelligence. 